Okay, they want to stay, I guess. All right, never. You're, <laughs> they love my preaching. I, thank you. It's, it's, it's honorable. Hey, guys, uh, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Colossians. We are going to Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 2, we left off kind of in the middle part last time we were together. And so we're going to try and pick up from there. Um, ooh, somebody snagged my water. Anybody want to, could somebody grab me a little cup or something? I would, I've been having that, am I the only one having the drainage and it's just, oh my soul, isn't that the worst? Yeah, I'm not alone. Um, I figure by the end of the service, I'll be talking like this. Yep, Randy can relate. Most of us, that time of year, uh, I, so I certainly appreciate it. Um, and ever who removed my um, two-month-old water, thank you too. That may explain <laughs> why I'm not able to talk real good. So we're in Colossians, and we've been talking about uh, this idea of perform or transform. It's a specific title and theme. Bless you, Randall. You are a good man. Thank you, sir. Teamwork there on that one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. For those of you who don't know why I did that, so it seems pastor gets made fun of during the week <laughs> on social media about how pastors drink water during their sermons. Trust me, it's a lot faster than what I just did. <laughs> so now that we've had the long dramatic pause, Zach, thank you. See Zach if you want to know more about that inside joke. Uh, anyways, for those of you who didn't get the inside joke, get social media. <laughs> I'm just saying, anyway, no. Probably don't. Um, so we have been talking about the book of Colossians. We're going through the book of Colossians. And as I mentioned before, probably going to take a break. Um, we're getting into Christmas time. Not sure when we're going to stop, when we're going to pick up yet. So continue to pray for that. Uh, but we're about halfway through. And so we're kind of making a little bit of progress here. And uh, Paul is in prison. You know this. He's under arrest. Um, and you've got... Uh, this church that started up in Colossae and Epaphroditus is one of the leaders there, potentially one of the pastors. He's come to Paul. He's looking for some encouragement in how to deal with some things. The, the area there has a lot of, uh, just a lot of false teaching that's in the region. And it's starting to have its effect on the church and even in the church. And so they're wondering how they need to handle this, what needs to take place. And so, as you recall, um, uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He's run into Paul there in Rome. And uh, Paul has, he's, the Onesimus uh, has come to know Christ, and he has uh, given him a letter to take back to Philemon. And so when you read the book of Philemon, you also recognize Philemon was a member of Colossae, and perhaps the church might have even met in his home. And so when you read that, he's, he's sending back this letter with his runaway slave, and he's saying, look, this guy's a brother of ours now. He's a brother in Christ. You need to treat him like a brother. And so all this is going on here. You've had that backdrop history. If you haven't, then go back and check out the beginning intro session uh, on this, and you can get that history. And so Paul is starting to address some of the problems that's facing the church. 
And we talked about last time, we specifically honed in on the subject of legalism. And so Paul is dealing with the subject of legalism, and he's also going to deal with uh, the subject of um, not only legalism, but we're also going to be looking at um, asceticism and mysticism. So specifically, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism in that order. We talked about this where we left off last week, let no one judge you. And so if you look in the text, and we'll begin our reading this morning, uh, let's just go ahead for context's sake, we'll back it up uh, to, let's go back to verse, just to get some good context here. Um, well, let's just start at 16. So chapter 2, verse 16 says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, including uh, or intruding into those things which he has not seen, speaking of which he has not seen. I brought them this week, so that's why I was calling that include instead of intrude. Okay, now we're better. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Father, I pray this morning you'll give clarity of thought that you will help, Lord, bring forth the truth of your word that you would have us to receive today. Lord, I pray our hearts would be attentive, uh, that our minds would be in tune and we would not be distracted in any way, but we would just draw near to you, Lord, as you draw near to us. Help us as we worship through the study of your word. And Lord, may the preaching of your word bring glory and honor to your name, so may you be made much of and lifted high in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, again we find Paul trying to communicate to the reader, the believer at the church in Colossae and trying to sort through some of the issues that were facing them there. And so uh, you recall last week I kind of gave you the outline where we were going, uh, let no one judge you, point one, point two, let no one cheat you, and point three, hold fast to the head. Obviously we only made it about halfway through the first one. We'll see how far we get today. So this is where we're going. This is a natural outline in the text here. Paul is saying, look, don't let anyone judge you unbiblically. Don't let anyone cheat you of your reward 
Because by the way, believer, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your reward. Right? We understand that. And so we need to hold fast to the head. That's what he's saying. I mean, this is it. Let's go home. Uh, no. I mean, that's it. We are called to be transformed. We're not called to perform. And too often times in churches, even still today, some 2,000 years later after this is written, we still struggle and battle with the flesh and the externalism. We get this false idea of ritualism, conformism, behaviorism. Those are all external influences that say, if you're going to be a good Christian, you need to do these things. And that's not what saves us. And that's not what sanctifies us. And so Paul is trying to encourage the reader and hopefully encourage us today that it's not about those things. It's not about ritualism. It's not about conformism, behaviorism. These are all, this is all forms of legalism. And the purest form of legalism where the Pharisees saying, unless you keep the rules, you're not going to go to heaven. What separates biblical Christianity from all the religions in the world is the religions of the world are works-based. Religions of the world say you must do in order to. Christianity, biblical Christianity says it is finished, it is done, therefore do. And so there's a big uh, difference in uh, what uh, is the world's teaching and what the truth claims. It's Christ, not legalism. It's Christ, not mysticism. It's Christ, not asceticism. That's what Paul is saying in the last part of chapter 2. And so he begins to close out this emphasis in the doctrinal side of things, if you will, to turn his attention towards the practical and how then we should live it out. And so, as we finish out this chapter, this is what I want us to focus on. Let no one judge you. It's Christ, not legalism. You remember when we were talking about this, we talked about in food or in drink. He, he, he says here, let no one judge you in, in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Verse 16. Now, if you just kind of read through, you, you may miss the significance of what's laid out there. First off, who do you think he's specifically talking to? The Jews. Yeah. The Judaizers. And there was a big influence of Judaizers in Colossae. And these are the same guys that were saying, as we find also in, in Galatia, right? Same type writing. Go and read the book of Galatians. He's saying to those guys practically the same thing. Because in Galatia, you've got these folks that are saying, yeah, you believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you need to be circumcised. You need to also keep the Mosaic Law. You also need to do... And, and, and so they're adding to Christ. Christ plus. Paul says, no. How is it you began in the Spirit? Do you think the, the law is going to perfect you? No. Don't let anyone use an unbiblical standard to judge you. And an unbiblical standard was Christ plus. Christ plus. 
So he looks at the food or drink, the festival, the new moon, the Sabbath. But here's what I don't want you to miss in the sequence. What you see there is this idea that Paul is saying, the festival, the annual. Okay, They're saying if you're going to be a, a, a follower of God, you've got to keep the annual feast. You still need to come and do the good Jewish thing. Yearly. The new moon. You need to also still observe the new moon. If you're going to be right with God, you need to still observe the new moon, which is a monthly festival. So logically, you would conclude the Sabbath would be a what? Bringing attention. If one's an annual, one's a monthly, what do you think the Sabbath would be? A weekly. And this is important because I want us to talk a little bit about what the Sabbath is and what Sabbath's not. How many of you remember growing up and on Sundays, everything was closed? I mean, for the most part, everything was closed. You kids are like, huh? I shouldn't have drank all that. But anyway. So, I, I mean, I remember everybody like, man, you, you had to get your groceries on Saturday because you, you, you can hang it up. Sunday was, was, you know, blue, what's it called? Blue light laws, right? Yeah, yeah, blue laws. Yeah, blue light laws, something else. That's what I got behind me when I was, anyway, that's, yeah, we'll move on for that one. Yeah, it's a special blue light law right there. And that didn't Kmart sale either, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, so the, the idea, you kind of understand this. Well, I got to think that's a, that was sort of a legalistic holdover in a lot of ways. And there's still a lot of churches and denominations today that still put an emphasis on the Sabbath and say that as Christians, you still need to observe the Sabbath. But wait a minute. What is the Sabbath? Sabbath is an Old Testament practice. What day is the Sabbath on? Saturday. Y'all be good Seventh-day Adventists, wouldn't you? Well, we're Christians. We celebrate it on the first day of the week. That's our Sabbath. So are you still required to keep it? Well, yes, we are, preacher. It's part of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are still good to keep, right? Thou shalt not murder. <laughs> if you believe it's okay to murder, don't sit near me. Right? The, you know, no other gods before me. Don't bow down to any graven image. Don't, don't blaspheme God with your mouth. Honor your mother and father. I mean, these are still in play, right? We call that the moral law. The moral law of God, as recorded in the Ten Commandments, is a very extension of who God is. Thou shalt not lie. That's an extension of He is truth. He is truth. If you claim to know Christ and Christ indwells in you, God Himself, we should speak truth in love. God is love, right? You see how the commandments, the, 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 the very commandments themselves are an extension of His righteousness, His holiness, His character, His attributes on display, which is the reason why you and I can't keep them because we're not holy, we are sinful. It reveals to us our fallen nature. It's a mirror that when we look into it, we fall woefully short. God never intended for us to be able to keep those perfectly. That's why when we talk of missing the mark, sin is us missing the mark. We are morally imperfect, but God is morally perfect. But wait a minute, if the Sabbath then is a moral law, but I thought it was a ceremonial law, because the Jews had faithful Jews, 
excuse me, <clears throat> had to observe it weekly, right? So is it a ceremonial law? Is it a moral law? Give you a few thoughts here to think about. Are we required, first off, to practice the Sabbath? Think about that question. I grew up, went to church with some good folk. They, would, they refused to eat out on Sundays because they wanted to observe the Sabbath, the day of rest. They, wanted to, they, were, they said, I'm not going to go out and have somebody else work and feed and serve me. We're going to stay home and let Mama work and feed me. Ouch, did I just defend? Anyway, think about it, guys. Look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I am trying to get us to think biblically. You know, that's no different than back in the day. Oh, we don't go to movies. There's a lot of, we don't go to movies. The movie house is of the devil. Honey, let's swing by Blockbuster on the way home and get a couple of movies for the house. Ouch. Oh, we don't believe in dancing. Dancing's of the devil. It's of the devil, I tell you. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> and we'll teach it in Bible church while we're in a little children's church. Oh, that's not dancing. That's for the Lord. Just don't dance like David did. That's all I'm saying about that. Guys, we got to examine, again, we focus in, in good people, good people, we get caught up, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let them steal your reward. It's because of Christ. Not because you don't dance. Not because you don't go to the movie house. Not because you don't eat out on Sunday. That's not what makes you holy. Christ makes us holy, and Him alone. And I desperately need Him because I'm not a holy man. Are the Sabbath laws binding on Christians today? Well, let's, I told you I was going to quote MacArthur. You know I'm going to go sermon and i got to quote MacArthur. So listen to what he has to say in regards to this subject. We believe the Old Testament regulations governing the Sabbath observances are ceremonial. This is what he says. That they're ceremonial, not moral aspects of the law. As such, they are no longer in force, but have passed away along with the sacrificial system, the Levitical priesthood, and all other aspects of Moses' law that prefigured Christ. And he's going to give us some reasons why he holds to this view. First off, he says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ which is no longer binding since the substance, Christ has come. I agree with that point, that Christ has come and He is a fulfillment of that shadow. It is quite clear in those verses that the weekly Sabbath is in view. I would agree with that. In the context, it is talking about annual, monthly, weekly. The phrases, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day refers to the annual, monthly and weekly holy days of the Jewish calendar. I would agree. In context, that's exactly what that's pointing out. If Paul were referring to a special ceremonial date of rest in that passage, why would he have used the word Sabbath? He'd already mentioned the ceremonial dates when he spoke of festivals and new moons. 
So again, this is his, his argument. Um, the Sabbath was assigned to Israel of the Mosaic Covenant. Since we're now under the New Covenant, we're no longer required to observe the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. You don't still have to abstain from shellfish, right? You don't still, hallelujah on that one. Some of you uh, got inspired, Nethers got inspired last week. I'm just going to call you out and went and had some bacon after su- su- Sunday. Man, if only y'all had invited me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not under those dietary restrictions, right? Don't let anybody judge you in food or drink. Just saying. The New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. Never commands you to observe the Sabbath in the New Testament. He goes on and says, In our glimpse of an early church worship service in the New Testament, the church met on the first day of the week. Acts 27. That's why, Seventh-day Adventists, that we don't worship on Saturday... We're not under the law anymore. We worship on the first day of the week because that's the day that Christ rose from the grave. Now, let me just throw this in here as a little side note. The early Christians, so as to not be offensive, sometimes met between the Sabbath evening when the, law was, when the rule was lifted and then before sunrise on Sunday morning, first day of the week, therefore they were actually worshiping on the first day of the week, but they didn't want to do so in such a way that would draw attention and cause offense to those Jews they were trying to reach. Case in point, after midnight, Paul's preaching. Somebody falls asleep, right? Y'all fall asleep and it ain't past midnight, but anyway. (laughs) That's an important thing to remember, and especially as we go through these things, because we have a tendency to use our liberty to become offensive. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Do not use your liberty as a cloak for vice. If you know eating meat offered to an idol is going to offend your brother, you don't eat it. You stay away from it. And so we need to hold a biblical balance that just because I have the right to do something, and we talked about this last week, doesn't mean it's best. Right? especially if I know it's going to be offensive. Why would I rub it in somebody's face, my liberty? And so again, if you want to drink, chew, or go with a girl that do, just, you know what I'm saying, don't, don't rub it in somebody's face who doesn't have a conscience that thinks that's all right. Maybe they come out of a background where that was troublesome. You have liberty. You have liberty. Just don't use that as a flaunt that would cause somebody potentially to stumble, even. You see... Anyway, that's, that's last time's sermon. In our glimpse of that early church, we see they began, there was a transition made, and they began to worship on the first day of the week. He goes on, he says about the Sabbath, nowhere in the Old Testament are the Gentile nations commanded to observe the Sabbath or are condemned for failing to do so. That's certainly strange if Sabbath observance were meant to be an eternal moral principle. You would have thought so. You you definitely would have thought that would have came up at the Jerusalem Council. There is no evidence in the Bible of anyone keeping the Sabbath before the time of Moses. Nor are there any commands in the Bible to keep the Sabbath before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Now I know what some of you are thinking. God created six days and on the seventh he rested. We'll come back to that. So... 
Uh, what else? When the apostle met at the Jerusalem council, here again, Acts 15, they did not impose Sabbath keeping on the Gentile believers. That would have been the perfect place to do it. Right? The apostle warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his epistles, but breaking the Sabbath was never one of them. You would have thought this would have been spelled out somewhere in the New Testament. Two places it's mentioned. The Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament here and in Hebrews. And that's in Christ being your rest. So, Galatians 4, 10 through 11, Paul rebukes the Galatians for thinking God expected them to observe special days, including the Sabbath. In Romans 14, 5, Paul forbids those who observe the Sabbath, these no doubt Jewish believers, to condemn those who do not, uh, such as the Gentile believers. The early church fathers from Ignatius to Augustine taught that the Old Testament Sabbath had been abolished and that the first day of the week, Sunday, was the day when Christians should meet for worship. Contrary to the claim of many Seventh-day Sabbatarians who claim that Sunday worship was not instituted until the 4th century. Sunday has not replaced Saturday as the Sabbath. I mean, Sabbath is, is Saturday. That's like saying Saturday, Sunday. Uh-huh. So... Rather, the Lord's Day is a time when believers gather to commemorate His resurrection, which occurred on the first day of the week. Every day to the believer is one of Sabbath rest. Since we have ceased from our spiritual labor and are resting in the salvation of the Lord. Hebrews 4, and that's the other context where I was referencing a while ago in regards to our rest in Christ. So, while we still follow the pattern of designating one day of the week, a day for the Lord's people to gather and worship, we do not refer to this as the Sabbath. Make sense? Don't let anyone judge you because of food or drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. Paul is letting those believers of Colossae know, don't be beguiled by religion. It's based on relationship. Specifically, salvation or closeness to God isn't based on what you do, it's based on what's been done. But also don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and somehow say that again, well, I can choose to do what I want. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so we must live out our faith. And Paul's actually going to address that side of the coin because he knows how people are going to think. It's just like when he says in Romans because he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because if he says, you know, it's by grace, then, then somebody's going to say, well, then, hey, if it's grace then I might as well live like the devil. I, hey, I got a license to sin. Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be so. You see, again, a person who would live that way 
reveals their hearts not converted. They do not understand the grace of Christ. Nor if they, for if they did, they would never seek to go the way of the flesh. Does that make sense? And that is our battle, flesh and spirit. The, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. And so there's this, again, a biblical balance, and it's not through asceticism, which Paul's going to address in a second, that we somehow, you know, uh, have to do things. But instead, living in our rightful position in Christ and allowing Christ to live out His life through us. And so we recall His words in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me. And so the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. That's internal motivation. That's a truth that when, I ca- when that's captured in my heart, when I understand that, when I yield to that, that's, that's, that's a surrender of my will to His will. That's what God wants to do. It's not those external rules that are going to make you holy or righteous. And so it's important that we understand this, this truth. Let no one cheat you. That's what he also says here. It's Christ, not mysticism. Remember, you had some folks here in this time period that, that were um, uh, saying angel worship. You know, that, that, that's, there's this hierarchy between man and God. And, and so, you know, if you want to get a little closer, then you, you need to turn your attention towards the angelic realm. And, and so, again, we were warned in Jude, you know, these false teachers were talking uh, in this area. And they were, they were uh, talking about things that they really had no business talking about. You know, and he gives us that example of even Michael the archangel when they, he was uh, contending uh, with Satan over where the bones of, uh, of Moses was buried, even Michael, the highest-ranking angel, said, the Lord rebuke you. And yet, who are we as man to dare enter into that realm and region and try to speak as experts? But boy, you've got them. And it's not just the mysticism of that, it's also this idea of a word from God. This idea of as if you you get a special revelation from God. You've got a connection with God that nobody else has. And this is really what permeates Christianity in the 21st century. You flip through the TV channels and it's all about a word from God. Guys, I've got a word from God. And I'll spend the rest of my life digging and studying and drawing and pulling and meditating and praying and still not even come close to the comprehension of the things of God. I don't need a new revelation. I'm still dealing with the one He's already given me. (laughs) You understand? You don't need a mystical experience. You don't need feelings to inform your facts. You need the facts to inform your feelings. So Paul is speaking to that here. Notice again, he says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon of Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, 
taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. We talked about this one time before, and, and I, and I kind of go back to this and highlight this. Because I, I believe the enemy of our soul, when he can't get your soul, he tries to deter you from a path that would bring the most glory to God. And he does a great job at religion and religious things. In fact, he's so arrogant and prideful, he used the very word of God in battle with the word of God made flesh. Read his encounter with Jesus in, in the desert. He had the audacity to quote scripture to the word made carnate. That's some serious pride. And I think we see this permeating Christianity today, especially American Christianity. And there's this idea of sensuality. And when you think about sensuality, sensuality is, is what was meant to be a gift to husband and wife has been perverted and, and saturated in our society. And so... Because we're fleshly beings, we are sensual in nature. That's why our appetite for food, our lust for greed, the things of the earth, materialism. I mean, you think about it, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These are the fleshly battles. And I believe when we look at a lot, when we really take an honest look at a lot of Christianity, there's a lot of what's going on that is sensually driven. It appeals to the flesh. And I'm not against styles, certain styles of music. I mean, hey, I'm not a Southern Gospel man, but we went and... Rocked it out with some Southern Gospel last night, right? For the ZES Foundation down at Paramount. It's all the Neelands and the Revelators. But, uh, you know, and I enjoyed the, the Neelands were, were excellent. I enjoyed it. We even took Josie with us. I mean, Josie even got a little Southern Gospel kick in his step last night. I think he locked himself in the bathroom, but no, I'm just kidding. He did. He, he, did. he, was, he, he actually, he, was there. he enjoyed it. So I don't want to come across like I'm knocking too much on... Yeah, style, but, have, but I do notice there is a lot of emotional-driven music. Now, emotion is not necessarily bad, but I, I quote, I think it was David Platt, who said, we live in a day when we worship worship. Ooh, we worship worship. I love to take about an hour of praise music and just, I'm in the spirit, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. It's not about you. You're at the center of that. You're at the center of that. Worship's about God being at the center of that. God's to be the one we're singing our worship to. He's the one we're adoring. He's the focus of our praise. He's the one that when we turn our eyes on the things above. That's when it's acceptable worship. But the flesh puts us at the center. And that's why, again, our battle, we shouldn't think it's strange, guys. We're going to always have a battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
That's why we want the mind of Christ to be able to lay off some of these garments and things that, that, that are stealing the joy of the Lord in our life and making us the sinner. We've got to die to self. We've got to get off the throne. We've got to allow Christ to have his rightful place. Let me give you seven dangerous tendencies of mysticism. And I don't know why it's not up there, so I'll just have to read it up here, I guess. Um, there it is. Self-focused rather than Christ-focused. And often rather than local church focus. Yeah, I said it. This is that balance I was talking about. Don't let anyone judge you on laws that make you right with God or get you closer to God. Sometimes people will use this as a defense when you try to encourage them about the importance of the local church. Well, we're not under law, we're under grace. They're just being legalistic. I'm being legalistic because the New Testament puts responsibility upon us as followers of believers, as believers in Christ, to be faithful to the things of God, to be faithful to one another, to direct command in the New Testament, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even more so as you see the day approaching. That's legalism. Or maybe, just maybe, My problem is self. What I want. My priorities. What I deem is most important. What I believe I have to do. My schedule. My family. My time instead of yielding to what God says is going to help us grow, that's going to help us be encouraged, that's going to edify and build us up in the faith. He's going to talk about the joints and the ligaments and that stuff in a little bit. Let me translate this for you. He's, he does the same thing over in, in Corinthians when he talks about spiritual gifts. Church, if you're a born-again believer, you have a spiritual gift. He gave you that to be used in the local church and for the ministry outside of the local church that we come together to edify one another. We're, we're fit together. One Lord, one Father, one baptism, right? All, we, but but we're, we're many members, diverse, diverse, but we're one. And I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning and my left foot don't show up, it's hard getting out of bed. Ever had that happen? Your foot asleep? Ah, ah. That's what I was dancing last night, Josie. I don't see I would. I'll move on. Healthy balance, guys. Biblical balance. God's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. That hasn't changed, and it won't. So what are some other dangers of mysticism? Experience becomes the authority rather than God's Word. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with people, but, but, but Pastor, I, I, listen, I know what I experienced, to which I say, I don't doubt you experienced it. But just because you experience something does not mean it's true. 
I am pretty confident Joseph Smith had an experience. For those of you who don't know who Joseph Smith is, he's the founder of Mormonism. I'm pretty sure Muhammad, when he had uh, an encounter in a cave with what he thought was a demon or devil, only to have his wife tell him, you better get back over there, that's an angel, and that's God trying to talk to you. I'm sure he had a real experience. But experience doesn't mean it's true. And if you've got a real enemy of your soul, you don't think he's going to pull all the bags and tricks out of his bag to, to try and deceive you? Don't come with your experience. Come with the authority of Scripture. If it lines up with Scripture, then you can rest in it. But be careful, as we learned in our Bible reading this morning, if we're following on a world of quiet time, no prophecy of God given to man comes by the will of man. It's not left to private interpretation. God meant what He said when He said it. And so it doesn't really matter how you interpret or I interpret. God said it. And whatever he said in its meaning and its context has an original statement, has an original meaning, and that meaning and that truth doesn't change. Regardless of how you see it or interpret it. Because there's misinterpretation often. Well, then how are we going to know? Study to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And guys, he doesn't make it difficult. The problem is we often go to the Scriptures looking for what we want to hear instead of listening to what God wants to say. Don't let experience. That's the danger. Mysticism gives a sense of superiority. Being in a special class with God. I remember as a young believer, um, Pentecostal brethren saying, Brother, you received the second gift? I... Didn't know they were giving out seconds. What's that about? You need to be baptized, speaking the Holy Ghost, you, you know, speaking tongues to get the Holy Ghost. Okay. I didn't know. I'm a brand new Christian, guys. I didn't grow up reading this Bible. I didn't know. I just wanted to do what was pleasing to God. And here's some man telling me I need to do this to please God. Which is exactly why Paul's writing to these people, because they're in the same boat. Sure, ah. I, I want to do that. If that's going to get me... Yeah, sure, why not? By the way, intention, motive, let's be careful. There are a lot of people who are very sincere and have good intentions, but they're sincerely, sincerely, sincerely wrong. Okay? Just because someone is sincere doesn't mean they're right. So, hey, I jumped in the tank, and let me just tell you, I don't know if this is a trick of our Pentecostal brethren, but they, I think they put ice in that, in that baptism. I'm just saying. Man, that thing was so cold, you'd have thought I was speaking in tongues. <laughs> I mean, it was freezing. I ain't even joking. You almost, you almost had it. I thought I heard something coming out of you one time. I'm thinking, yeah, you heard something coming out of me all right. It's like, get me out of here and get me a blanket. There's this idea of superiority, though, that, that somehow... And, and look, I... I didn't stay long in that circle because I realized as I began to read my Bible that it wasn't lining up. 
things that, that, that I was hearing and seeing wasn't lining up. And the more I dug into it, the more I began to realize, I don't think that's right. And that's the Spirit of God testifying to the truth of God. But I needed somebody to help teach me, right? I mean, God has given to the church teachers. And so you can't blame when, a, when someone who, who is led astray ends up where they are. Now, every man's accountable and responsible. But you kind of understand. And so I thank God for His grace in that. To steer me into a good Bible-believing church where I was able to not just be spoon-fed, but to actually be able to hold the spoon myself and eventually change it for a fork and then a steak knife and cut that meat. Praise God. One of the other things, uh, danger of, of mysticism, it avoids the hard work of searching the Word for answers and growth. Let's just admit it, we're lazy. We're spiritually lazy. We don't want to study the Word of God. We just want to read a quick little verse and hear a nice little story to go with it. That's why the, most of the churches that are ginormous in size, is because they tell stories, feel-good stories. The Scripture told us in the latter days they'll set up for themselves teachers who tickle their ears. Oh, wasn't that good? I just love that story that he told today. It's precious. Touch my little soul. What, what was the Word of God? What, 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 do we, what do we get from the Scriptures and the authority of God? This is God-breathed, man. This is, this is the very life-giving substance of God. Why would we not diligently look into it? Especially when it speaks to eternal matters. Guys, this is a blimp in eternity. Everything we pour into that we give so much attention and so much priority to is going to fall to the wayside. It's going to burn up wood, hay, and stubble. And that day, it's going to be revealed. And man, we're going to be thinking, Oh! Man, I should have. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And there'll be loss of reward for believers, not loss of salvation. And so Paul's warning these believers don't let somebody judge you, don't let somebody cheat you. Let the authority of Scripture be the standard, not their rules in legalism but adhere to the Word of God. That's our standard. And so we need to know the Word of God in order to do that. Also, mysticism, uh, danger, it breeds superstition among the masses, especially when used by religious leaders. And you see this a lot in Catholicism and, and, and other religious practices. I mean, you know, mystical and, you know, the Bible warns us to avoid old wives' fables, you know. Hey, Black cat can run out in front of me all day long. I ain't worried about it. I'll walk under a ladder while he does it. I'm just saying. I, I, it, Christian, you're not, we're not superstitious. We serve a God who's sovereign over everything. Why would you even be superstitious? By the way, I say this often. I'm just going to give it by public service announcement to remind you all. I know what you mean when we say good luck. But just keep in mind, luck... All right? And its worldly definition is wrong. Eh. Try again. But scripturally, we'll go this route. All right. 
I understand luck. Luck is living under Christ's kindness. That's luck. Living under Christ's kindness. And if it's lucky, it's living under Christ's kindness. Yeah. All right. Dis, uh, diminish, it diminishes discernment that comes from the Word and thrives on biblical ignorance. I'm serious. You want to see this one? You don't, don't stay on long, but you flip on the channel. You remember years ago when they were, the, guy, the guy was causing like, their feelings in their teeth when he'd lay hands on them, and, they, and like gold would come out of their mouth, or gold dust fell from the sky. And people were, I mean, it was like weird. Where's that in the Bible? You know, and just some crazy things. That, and, it, and it thrives in an area of ignorance. And again, it feeds the sensation. It feeds the feeling. It feeds the emotion. And again, I'm not trying to... Guys, I'm, please understand, my heart is... It, 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 even that, God says, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So I'm going to rely on Scripture as I need to, to say this. These experiences don't mean they're true. Thus saith the Lord. Don't be ignorant of thus saith the Lord. So what else? It tends to make people intolerant or to resent those who question the experience by bringing it under the searchlight of scriptures. How do you verify this is God speaking to you? I had somebody tell me this once. They said, uh, Preacher, I, I, I was sitting in the house the other day and um, God gave me a word. He spoke to me. I said, well, what did it sound like? He said, well, just, you know, it was, I, I heard him. I mean, just, just heard him plain that you need to get up. You need to go outside. And so I got up and went outside. He said, and I was standing there and I was saying, God, what, what, I, what do you have me outside for? I know you got something for me. What do you got? He said, then I saw a jogger coming by. And I thought, that's why God brought me outside. And I went over and I shared my faith with the jogger. I thought, oh, okay. And my first thought was, well, you know, I actually, no, I, I, I did share this with him. I said, well, that, you know, I'm glad you shared your faith. In fact, when I read the scriptures... See what I did there? When I read the scriptures, it encourages all of us to be a witness for Christ. And so I'm glad you were obedient to that scripture. Right? Now, I'm sure the jogger was probably thinking, man, dude, I was making good time. But anyway. So I asked him this question. How do you know that was God speaking to you? He said, well, I mean, I just, I, I just knew. I said, well, is it possible it was one of his messengers? Maybe he sent a good angel to encourage you to do that. Because the Bible does say that he sends forth messengers, right? And so is it possible? I'm just asking a question. Is it possible it was, a, it was one of his angels that he encouraged to go minister to you to encourage you to go do that? Is that possible? He said, well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible. I said, okay, so if that is hypothetically possible, is it also possible that it could have been a fallen angel? And 
even if it's yes or no on that answer, again, how are you to discern whose voice it is when those voices speak? You see, guys, my, my whole conversation in that with the gentleman was not to rely on the experience as much as he needs to rely on the Word of God. And if it's in relation to the Word of God, right? And, and we know according to the Word of God, we are to be a witness for Christ. So I don't need a vision. I don't need a whisper to know what I should do. Now, we do need a nudge. And, and I do believe that the Scripture does teach us, and there are often times when we do, and I'm not trying to negate the man's experience. I'm just trying to make certain that we're holding strong to the authority of Scripture when it influences us to do what we do. Because I'm pretty sure Muhammad and Joseph both thought, well, at least one of them after his wife told him, <laughs> that it was a message from the Lord. A message from the Lord. That's in a... Anyway... That's a veggie tale. So, let's wrap it up. What's Paul's point? Hold fast to the head. It's Christ, not asceticism. Anybody know who this guy is? Macarius the Great. Check this out. By the way, what is asceticism? Asceticism, the dictionary describes it, an ascetic one who leads a very austere, austere and self-denying life. Maybe you heard of the guy who uh, took a vow of silence in a monastery. He was allowed two words every ten years. If you tuned out, tune in. You'll like this. He was, he was, he was uh, uh, allowed two words every ten years. When his first time was up, he reported to the overseer and he said, Bed hard. Ten years went by and he came to the second time. 20 years, he came to a superior and he said, food, cold. A third 10 years crawled by and he had his third opportunity to speak and he said, want out. <laughs> to which his superior replied, I can understand why. All you've done is complain the whole time you've been here. When it comes to asceticism, there's this carnal self-mortification. It, it's a, a Christian trying to put to death the deeds of the body. It's self-driven. But there's another that's uh, bearing your cross that is dying to self that's Christ-driven. And he exposes here again, it's speaking to these religious ones that are there, verse 21, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrine of men. There's another guy. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you about Macarius. Let me tell you about Macarius, in case you're Macarius. <laughs> um, Macarius, this guy was extreme. He, he was, I mean, you talk about extreme. He was, he was considered extreme holy. He laid naked in a swamp for six months until he was bitten so severely by African gnats, he looked like he had leprosy. Now that's holy. But that's what he thought. How about this guy? There's another, another crazy cat. His name's Simeon. Check out what Simeon did. 
So in 423, Simeon, he was, he was uh, like a hermit. He came up with a whole new kind of holiness. He would sit on poles. He'd sit on poles. He sat on top of poles. His poles got increasingly higher until the last one was 60 feet high. He spent a total of 36 years on these poles, on platforms. He could only stand. He could barely lean. He'd lean against another pole. He wore a covering of animal skins and, and a chain around his neck. He stood there for so long, uh, days, weeks, years, exposed to the scorching sun, drenching rain, crackling frost, howling storm, living a life of daily death and martyrdom, groaning under the load of sin, never attaining to true comfort and peace of soul that comes through a childlike trust in Christ. And he thought somehow that was going to make him holy. Sitting on a pole. I bet he'd been a good NASCAR driver. He'd always had pole position. I'm just saying. I wonder if it, I, I know where he's from. From the North Pole. His name's Chris Kringle. Nope, his name was Tad. Tadpole. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been waiting all morning to tell you those. All right, moving on. How about this guy, Henry Suso? He wore an under... Oh, this is worse, guys. You thought the pole... Oh, my soul. This guy wore an undergarment studded with 150 shark tacks day and night. Yeah, I said that, undergarment. Oh, my lanta. He said he felt like he was lying in a nest of wasps. I bet so. Oh my goodness. What? He felt he wasn't being like Christ enough. So he bound against his back a wooden cross to which he fixed 30 spikes in memory of the 30 wounds of Christ. He laid on this instrument of torture at night for eight years. Do you see what Paul's talking about? This is where this leads, guys. When we get away from the authority of Scripture and we go in the way of legalism or we go in the way of mysticism or we go in the way of asceticism. Conclusion. Let no one judge you with unbiblical judgments. Christ plus stuff. It's not about legalism, ritualism, or conformism. It's not about annual, monthly, or weekly practices. Consider Hebrews 4, 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Guys, when we look at the beginning of time and God created, and on the seventh day he rested. When we see the Sabbath, whether you see it ceremonially or morally, let me just say this, Christ is our Sabbath. And I rest in Him daily. Because He alone has purchased our redemption. And so, do not think that I came to destroy the law, Christ said, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that He did. Come to me, all you who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Christ said. That's not religion there, guys. That's relationship. That's your, that's your Lord and Savior who loves you and demonstrated that love for you on the cross at Calvary. And while you're still a sinner, while I'm still a sinner, Christ died for us. It's not about legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. It's not about the shadows. It's about the substance, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. It's about Christ. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Amen? See, that, that, that changes my approach to prayer meeting. That changes my approach to sharing my faith. That changes my approach to loving others, treating others the way I want to be treated. Therefore, seek those things which are above. And that's exactly where we're going next, Lord willing, in Colossians 3. He says all of that to say this. Therefore, seek those things which are above. Guys, let me encourage you, wherever you're at in your walk, rest in Christ today. It is finished. It is done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you for the authority of Scripture. Lord, thank you most importantly for Jesus Christ, for his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It is finished. It's paid in full. Those shadows of the old covenant have been fulfilled. And Lord, we walk now in newness of life because we know Christ as believers. We've come to a place of repentance and faith where we put that trust in who Christ is and what He's done on our behalf because we fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. We're not morally pure. We can't keep the ceremonial laws. You never intended for us to. That was your work. And your work is complete. And you said it's finished. And you sat down, demonstrating it's done. You sat down at the right hand of the Father. And you still call for us, whosoever will, let them come. And we can find rest there. Not just in our salvation, we can find rest in our sanctification. And one day we know we will ultimately find rest in glorification. Thank you for your powerful, powerful word and the, and the testimony of the Holy Spirit that conveys this truth to us. Yes, you do whisper, you do speak, but you always speak in accord to the truth of your word, never contradicting it. And so, Lord, help us as we study to show ourselves approved, to be in tune with that voice, your voice, that we might know your will. And so thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, if there be anyone here that doesn't know you, may they turn to you and lay their eyes upon Christ. 
May they surrender their life at the foot of the cross. May they exchange their life of sin for the robe of righteousness that you offer them. And so, Lord, may we be clothed in that. May we walk in that for your glory, for your namesake. And we'll thank you and give you the praise. Recently, and those of you who have completed the new members class, have followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and would like to become a member of Community Baptist Church, give you an, an opportunity. If you'd like to come forward at this time, you can. And uh, again, guys, some of the ones who've gone through the class, uh, they may not come forward at this time. Uh, we do still have some others that we're looking at for baptism, but they know the offer is open, and so I want to at least extend that offer today. So if you would like to come forward at this time, you can. All right. I've got a couple of folks coming. Excellent. All right. Yeah, you can go get your wife. and Yeah, that'd be great. Well, yeah, let's give these guys a hand. And uh, we're going to give Matthew a little time to go get uh, his wife and daughter as well. And so, uh, yeah, it was encouraging. We, uh, we did something new. We did a crash course on a Saturday. And uh, we may end up having to do that. We live in a different day and age, trying to get you guys to commit to six weeks on anything. If it's not volleyball, I can hang it up. You know, I'm just saying but uh, so it was good. We got things through, and um, uh, and so just a good a good time together. Um, so with that said, uh, what I'll do at this time, I'm going to talk to this young man, and uh, Josie comes to us. You guys know Josie from the neighborhood. Josie's been a faithful part of our church forever and a day, and uh, he's also part of our family, part of the Quinn's family, and and part of this family. And we're making it official today. So, Joseph, you come to us today. Uh, do you give testimony that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. All right, then. And uh, you have followed the uh, uh, Lord and believers' baptism? Excellent. So, with that testimony and with the completion of the new members' class, you guys can stand right here, um, we would like to extend the invite to you to be a part of this church officially. And so I'd like to ask the church, if you're in favor of Joseph becoming an active member of Community Baptist Church, do so by saying, Amen. 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 You hear that, brother? Welcome to the family, man. Love you, bro. Next up, we got this guy. I, I'll tell you what. He's been through the class about as many times as I have. I mean, I just, <laughs> uh, Mark Moore has been here. You guys know Mark. for uh, He's been with us for some time. And uh, it's always in God's timing, guys. And this was God's timing. And so uh, his, his mother and aunt also went through the class. And we look forward to them coming forward soon. Uh, unable to be with us today. But Mark, do you give testimony today that you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Excellent. You followed him in believer's baptism, correct? Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, with that testimony, uh, I would uh, like to extend an invite for you to become a part of Community Baptist Church family. Uh, all in favor, say amen. 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 Brother, love you. Welcome to the family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and y'all know now when I say welcome to the family, they were already a part of the family. They were born again, bought by the blood of Christ. Uh, they're just a part now of the Community Baptist Church local family, officially, you know. So anyway, this family here now, let me just tell you, again, they've been here for so long, uh, you thought they were permanent furniture. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we finally got them through too. So uh, again, it's, it's, sometimes it's tough with schedules and everything, but we got it in and we're excited about it. This is, uh, as you know, they've already been serving faithfully here and uh, looking forward to uh, their being involved as well. So we've got Matthew, Amanda... And Emma Lefko, and uh, so, do you guys give testimony, parents, that uh, you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Okay, you followed him in believer's baptism, correct? Excellent. Well, based upon that 
testimony, and, and this one's contingent on the, on the, she's still part of the family because she's part of your family, but we're looking forward to a future baptism. We actually have a lot of kids, we were talking about this morning, we have a good group that needs to follow the Lord and Believer's baptism, and some big kids too, so be praying about that. But this family has completed the new members class, and so based upon that completion, based upon their testimony this morning, I would ask, because um, I'd like to extend an invite for you to become a part of Community Baptist Church family. All in favor of that, say amen. 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 Guys, love you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. Love you, man. Thank you, man. So, woo, I like Sundays like that. Hey, if you want to know more about Community Baptist Church, see me. We'll start another class. I'd like to get another class going. We'd like for you to be a part of that, okay? Uh, and even once you go through it, you're not required to join, but you'll at least know more about the church. Also, I want to encourage you, if you're here today, I know we've got some of you in the midst. I know who you are. <laughs> You've yet to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Can I encourage you today? Take that step of obedience. It's not about adding to your salvation. It's not Jesus plus. But I'm telling you, it is something He has called us to do. And there's nothing better than to hear that His children walk in truth. And the truth is, He desires for you to follow Him in faithful obedience. Would you consider that and think about that? And if you would like to, we'd love to set up a Sunday and, and, and have that happen. So, with that said, I'm going to ask Dean Hightower to dismiss us in prayer and you're free to go.